Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. This morning, we want to turn our attention to the book of Acts, where we left off last week. Last week, we had Paul facing a hearing before the Jewish ruling council. The drama was intense. You had the equivalent of a brawl breaking out there in the chambers. It was so violent that Paul had to be taken out of the council before he was harmed. We learned of a conspiracy that, had, that was forming that involved 40 men who were plotting and scheming and, and planning to have Paul assassinated. But to avoid the plot, to avoid his harm, Paul was escorted by a large unit of Roman infantry and cavalry in the middle of the night to Caesarea, where he would stand before the Roman governor. And the governor's name, of course, was, was Felix. We get to chapter 24, we find the first 21 verses of Acts chapter 24 is, is another hearing. The Jewish council sent their representatives to, to make their case against Paul. And of course we know Paul, is, he makes a stellar defense. He, he, he hears the truth, here's what I'm here for, you all need to understand that. And it is with that conclusion that I want us to pick up in Acts chapter 24 and verse 22. I would invite you to stand with me if you're able as I read this here in Acts chapter 24 beginning in verse 22 through the end of the chapter. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off saying, when Lysias the tribune comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurions that he should be kept in custody but have some liberty, and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given to him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this story that we've been following over the last few weeks. I pray that we might learn from Paul as, as he walks through a difficult time in life that we would learn to emulate his faith, to follow him in his courage, to be obedient to you in our service to you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. You would have thought that after the arguments were made that the governor would rule on the case, guilty or innocent. I mean, that's our expectation of the criminal court, right? If, if the arguments are made, I mean, I mean, have you been following this Johnny Depp thing? Like, I mean, this thing shows up. I don't really even know what it's about, but it won't go away. But you expect that when, whenever it's done, I don't know when it's going to be done. I don't even know what he's on trial for other than making bad movies. Um, but you expect that when it's done, that somebody's going to make a ruling in the case, okay? However, this is not what's happened in Paul's case. There is no guilty or innocent. There is no free or imprisoned you would expect that to happen. And if you were on trial before an honorable official, that might be the case. But Paul was on trial 
before a man by the name of Governor Felix. Now, we don't need extra sources to confirm the Bible. We don't have to have historians to confirm what's, what's said in the Bible. That's not necessary for us. But we do recognize that when other sources confirm what we're reading in the Bible, that, that it's good to draw on those sources to see what other people are saying about these particular characters. And uh, Antonius Felix was the first slave in the history of the Roman Empire to become a governor. Now, that would have been quite a distinction if he had earned it, if he'd worked himself up from the ranks of being a slave, but that was not the case. As a child, Felix, along with his brother Pallas, had been freed by Antonia, the mother of Prince Claudius, a future Caesar. As they grew up, Pallas became a very close friend of Claudius, so much that when Claudius became emperor, Pallas persuaded him to make Felix a government official in Palestine under a man by the name of Cumanus. When Cumanus was deposed, Felix obtained his office through shameful intrigue. During his governorship, insurrections and anarchy dramatically increased throughout Palestine because of his brutality. The Jewish historian Josephus tells us that he repeatedly crucified the leaders of various uprisings. The Roman historian Tacitus described him as a master of cruelty and lust who exercised the power of a king with the spirit of a slave. Antonius Felix was an unscrupulous, avaricious, brutal, and scheming politician. Drusilla was his third wife. You might know anybody named Drusilla. That's a name that didn't make it out of the Bible very well. Like nobody looks at their little girl and says, oh, she's so beautiful. Let's name her Drusilla. It almost sounds like she should go after like Dalmatians or something, right? <laughs> Drusilla DeVille. She was the youngest daughter of Agrippa. And Felix was her second husband. Uh, she had originally married a guy by the name of uh, Azizus. Uh, but she did not find him very exciting. And she won Felix's affection with the help of a magician named Thomas, eventually becoming Felix's illicit lover and quote-unquote wife. She was barely 20 at the time, unusually beautiful, but her ambition and lust equaled that of her new husband. So this is the ruling, this is the people that are in office, right? I mean, I mean, you, you, you look at this, so that sounds like our politicians. I mean, that's, these, are, these are bad people, right? I mean, we're not dealing with, with noble, savory, upright people, upright rulers. These are, these are bad apples that we're dealing with here. And Paul ends up in their custody for, for two years. I don't know. Can you imagine being in, letting those people be in charge of you for two years of your life? Now, could his situation have been worse? Sure. Could it have been better? <laughs> Absolutely. He isn't suffering per se. There's certain liberties. Verse 23 says his friends are able to come and meet his needs, and so he's almost under a type of, of house arrest, but it's certainly not, it's certainly not freedom. It's certainly not. Uh, for a missionary who had spent his life traveling through the Mediterranean, moving around, telling people about Jesus, to be locked down like that for two years, you know it was tough. He may not have been stuck in a dungeon, but you can't help but realize that he is stuck stuck for two years, can't go anywhere, can't do anything, stuck for two years under the watch of Governor Felix and his wonderful wife, Drusilla. We're told that during those two years, Felix frequently sought an audience with the Apostle Paul. 
Uh, you'd like to think because it was Felix was, was responsive to the gospel, right? Paul shared the gospel with him. Felix came, gave his life to Christ. And then for the next two years, Paul was doing a discipleship class with Felix, right? Let me tell you what it means to walk with Jesus. Let me, let me help you become a good Christian governor. But that's not the case at all. We find out that, that really Felix was, he was just hoping for a bribe, hoping the apostle Paul, please stop torturing me like this and just pay him to get him out. But I love here that, that Paul made the most of a bad situation. Sometimes I try to put myself in the position of the biblical characters and think, think I see what Paul did, but what would Brian do? And I found that if I, if I put myself in Paul's shoes for these two years while, while he, is, he is under the, the authority of Governor Felix, I, I found that, that I would be, uh, I'd get really frustrated, right? Because I'm under arrest even though my accusers can't make a solid case against me. It's not like I did something that was completely wrong and I've been arrested and I'm awaiting trial for something that I did that was wrong. Paul knows that he's not done anything wrong. He's not broken any laws per se, but he is still under house arrest. And then to, to put icing on the cake, there is a lunatic in charge of me. I mean, right? I mean, after hearing about Felix, I mean, can you come up with a better description? I mean, he's, he's obviously out of his mind, and he brings me before him like a court gesture, just periodically to, to converse with me, but with, with no real fruit. He, wants, he, he brings me in hoping that I'll, I'll converse with him, and, and, and maybe I'll just pay him so there's no fruit. He's got his hands sticking out, implying if I'll just bribe him, he'll let me go, and this will all go away. It doesn't take too long before my gospel <laughs> preaching engine has a dead battery, Right? Like, if I have any flaws, one of my flaws is, is I'm real, I, I, I knock the dust off my feet, feet too quick, right? I mean, some of you may be like that. Like, you'll invest and you'll put forth effort, but, but when, when, you know, nobody responds, it's like, well, it's time to knock my dust off my feet and move on. And, and I'm looking at this thinking, all right, Felix, I'll give you a couple shots here, but, but if, if you're not going to respond... It's time to move on. I'm going to start a prison ministry. I'm going to quit talking to the governor. I'm going to start talking to my fellow, my fellow inmates here. Brian doesn't do well in this particular situation, but not Paul. He faithfully does what God has called him to do. Now, that's not to say there weren't bad days. It's not to say that there weren't days where, where Paul didn't particularly want to go talk to Felix and his lovely wife, Drusilla. But what we do get here is a wonderful example of how to make the most of a bad situation. Paul is stuck. And maybe you've been like that. Maybe you have felt stuck before, but you need to remember that God is working on a bigger picture. You ever felt stuck in life? You felt stuck in your situation. You felt stuck in your circumstances. And it's easy to think about how you're stuck and you're spinning your wheels and you're not going anywhere. But you need to remember that God is working on a bigger picture. I was thinking about the timeline for the rest of the book of Acts. We're almost to the end here. But from the time Paul is arrested in Jerusalem to the end of Acts chapter 28, we're talking about a span of time of five years. I mean, five years, that's, that's a long time. I mean, uh, the guys that just graduated yesterday, you guys were in eighth grade five years ago, and that's how long ago that was. I, I, had a, I had a sweet little kid in my house five years ago, and I've got this middle schooler now. And so, I mean, five years is a long time. 
It's a long time. Paul is, is in this holding pattern for five years. He's five years in varying levels of custody. He's five years with no freedoms. There's five years with no missionary work, no church planning, none of that. But just because Paul was stuck doesn't mean that the work wasn't still going on because God was moving. God was putting people in place. God was changing the circumstances. You know, one of the things that tends to get overlooked in this particular situation is that the time elapsed actually helped to cool the circumstances considerably. Go back to the trial. Paul was there when the, in front of the ruling council. I mean, they were so angry that they were ready to rip him to shreds. I mean, that's how they had to forcefully move Paul from the situation. So, so the situation was so hot that they were ready to physically, violently harm him. Paul had to be moved to safety using cavalry and infantry and spearmen. I mean, he was under heavy guard because the, the situation was so hostile and people were so angry. But over the course of time, the circumstances cooled considerably. If you remember that group of 40 men that were trying to kill Paul, they took a vow. They said, we will not eat until Paul dies. Well, here we are two years later. I bet they broke their vow. I mean, I mean that's a long time to go without food. And so somebody in that group of 40, you know, he probably said, you know what, this is crazy. Let's go ahead and go hit the, hit the golden corral or something, right? I mean, somebody broke that vow. And so over the course of time, things cooled. And, and we see this today, don't we? I mean, we talk about things like news cycles. Last week, the Southern Baptist Convention report dominated the news cycle. And over time, it will diminish in coverage. When we have our convention in Anaheim in a couple weeks, it'll pop back up. But people will grow weary of seeing about it. Of course, this week, the shooting in Texas has dominated the news, but even the intensity of that will fade with time and once information is shared. If Paul had been released during that initial conversation with Felix, what would have happened to him? Well, those 40 guys that were hungry would have killed him. He would have been assassinated right there because they had plotted, they had figured out, they had schemed. But instead, two years had passed. Lives had moved on. Tempers had cooled or were distracted by other matters. And Paul was much safer after those two years than he would have been otherwise. But it's important to keep in mind, Paul's, the goal was not Paul's freedom. Paul's ultimate goal, the ultimate purpose in his life is to get him to Rome where he can preach the gospel in Rome. And you can't help but see God's hand moving and working in that direction, even though it took a long time to get him there. There's somebody else in the Bible that, that comes to mind when we think about this. Think about Joseph. I mean, Joseph's life was, I mean, his early life from the time he got sold into slavery to the time he becomes the prime minister of Egypt, that's a rough season. I mean, in jail, out of jail, falsely accused. I mean, terrible scenario that Joseph is in. But over the course of time, what happens? God is moving. God is planning. God is working. Even Joseph's last prison stay, it went on longer than Joseph would have ever wanted. But what was happening outside prison? Well, God was working in the, in the Pharaoh and his fellow prisoners' lives to orchestrate that, that magic moment when Joseph could come out and interpret the dreams of Pharaoh. Joseph was stuck, but God was still working. God was still moving. You may feel stuck right now. You may feel like you're stuck in a rut, 
But if there's anything to learn from Paul, it's this. Be faithful even while you're stuck. Be faithful even when you don't know which way you're going. Be faithful when life is not moving like the, at the pace you want it to move. Don't give up and don't stop looking for where God wants you to be. And in doing so, we need to make sure we make the most for the kingdom regardless of our circumstances. You know, Felix may have treated Paul like a jester, but Paul sees each interaction as an opportunity to share the gospel. In Acts 24, verse 24, it says, after some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. That's code language. Paul sharing the gospel with this crew. Felix and Drusilla know the truth about Jesus. We know when our circumstances get bleak, we're not often thinking about our role in the kingdom, right? We get distracted by the other stuff in life. But it's hard to imagine Paul thinking about anything else. You can almost imagine Paul asking, Lord, here's the situation. What would you have me do? That's a simple prayer, but it's really a profound prayer if we start to apply that into our lives when we find ourselves in difficult situations. It's such a simple and profound prayer. Lord, here's what's going on. Here's the situation. What would you have me do? We would do well to pray that prayer frequently. We would do well to pray that prayer when we find ourselves in unfortunate situations. But we don't have to be stuck in a mess to pray that prayer. However, when we find ourselves stuck in that rut, stuck in that mess, it sure takes on new significance. It's very easy when we get into a situation that's hard, that's difficult, that we stop worrying about everyone and everything else and we start worrying about ourselves our wants, and our needs. Who could blame Paul if he had a pity party? I mean, right? Could, wouldn't you have a pity party if you found yourself in that situation? You've had all the freedom in the world, and then suddenly that freedom was revoked, and you were under house arrest with a madman ruling over you? I mean, who could blame Paul if, he hadn't, if, if he'd had a pity party? I'm lonely. I've got no friends. I'm the house guest of a madman. I've been all over the Mediterranean planting churches. I've preached the gospel in some of the most prominent places in the empire, but now I'm stuck here in this one-horse town. I might as well have on a jester's costume every time he calls me up. I mean, I would certainly say, Paul, I can identify with you there because I would imagine how easy it would be to, get, to, to go down that road. Maybe you've been in a place where your life has been in that rut. Your life has been in that, you've been stuck in that place and you think, man, what am I gonna do? You're stuck in your job. You've been given a diagnosis that's gonna take time to overcome. Maybe you're a student and you've got that teacher, right? Or, or that class. I remember when I was, a, I guess my sophomore year at UTC, I had to take statistics and it was that class. Uh, and I learned over time it was also that teacher, right? And I was like, oh, how am I ever going to get through this semester? Or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe you're a teacher and you're going to be stuck with that student for the year. Oh, what am I going to do? It's easy to turn inward. It's easy to have the pity party. It's easy to go into the woe is me moment. But Paul reminds us that our obligation to the kingdom is unchanged even if our circumstances are tough. Finally, Paul teaches us something important here. Don't compromise your convictions to make life easier. 
Verse 24 tells us that, that Paul spoke about Jesus, faith in Jesus. And man, that's good, right? He shares the gospel, but verse 25 fleshes that out a little bit more. He says in verse 25, he says, and as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment. Okay, who's he talking to? Governor Felix. Governor Felix's life is characterized by wickedness and evil and terrible, nasty things. He's got Drusilla DeVille there who he's married to, and she's also known for her less than noble character. And Paul comes in and he's saying, hey, let's talk about self-control. Hey, let's talk about righteousness. Hey, let's talk about what it means to be holy. Hey, let's talk about this, this moral standard that is there. Let's talk about the coming judgment. That'll make you real friends really fast. Find somebody who is stuck deep in their sin and say, did you know Jesus is going to come back and judge you? You're going to make friends really quick in that, in that regard. What does Felix do? In verse 25, it says, Felix was alarmed <laughs> and said, go away for now. I don't want to hear this anymore. I don't want to know what you have to say. I don't want to talk about self-control or righteousness or the coming judgment. When I get ready, I'll bring you back. And I'm sure Paul thought, well, that's a, blank. that's a check he's never going to cash. Right? Felix is capital T trouble. But instead of preaching a gospel-like message, you know, Paul could have preached that gospel-like message. And Felix would have been best friends with him. You know, don't worry about what you've done. Don't worry about what you're continuing to do. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Don't worry about self-control or judgment or anything like that. Don't worry about that, Felix. Just love Jesus and everything will be fine. That's all Paul does. There's no gospel light. He gets into it. He says, yes, this is faith in Jesus, but there are expectations that come with faith in Jesus. It's not just, a, it's not just a, an empty promise that is made. Paul, instead of preaching that gospel light message, he is standing before the man who can free him or lock him back up, and Paul drops the hammer. Doesn't compromise for the sake of convenience. One commentator said it this way, Paul quickly left off preaching and went to meddling. Ever heard that before? These topics were not what they wanted to hear. Preaching about righteousness and self-control to Felix and Drusilla would have been like preaching about gluttony at the Golden Corral. You want to see what that's like? I can promise you, you go to Fort O this afternoon, there's going to be line out the door. Go in there and say, let's talk about what the Bible says about gluttony, folks. You will not make friends. You will not influence people. How did it affect the audience? We're told Felix was alarmed. The sense of the word alarmed is, is not, I can't believe you just said that. The sense of the word alarmed here means that someone is, is terrified. And so Felix is terrified when he hears this word. Now, understand, there's nothing wrong with about being terrified about the gospel. There have been many souls who've been confronted with the reality of hell and judgment who turn to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes we think that's an invalid uh, conversion. You know, that, that if somebody is confronted with, with hell or somebody's confronted with judgment and they give their life to Christ, that somehow or another that's a deficiency in their gospel response. Listen. 
some of the greatest sermons ever preached that have led to the most conversions were sermons about hell and judgment. One of the greatest sermons in the English language is sinners in the hands of an angry God. It was preached by Jonathan Edwards in 1741. Listen to what Jonathan Edwards said. There is no want of power in God to cast wicked men into hell at any moment. Men's hands cannot be strong when God rises up. The strongest have no power to resist him, nor can any deliver out of his hands. He is not only able to cast wicked men into hell, but he can most easily do it. Sometimes... An earthly prince meets with a great deal of difficulties to subdue a rebel who has found means to fortify himself and has made himself strong by the numbers of his followers, but it is not so with God. Edwards goes on. There is no fortress that is any defense from the power of God, though hand join in hand and vast multitudes of God's enemies combine and associate themselves, they are easily broken into pieces. They are as great heaps of light shaft before the whirlwind or large quantities of dry stubble before devouring flames. We find it easy to tread on and crush a worm that we see crawling on the earth, so it is easy for us to cut or singe a slender thread that anything hangs by. Thus easy is it for God, when he pleases, to cast his enemies down to hell. What are we that we should think to stand before him, and whose rebuke the earth trembles, and before whom the rocks are thrown down? Well, that'll preach right there. And people got saved when Edwards preached that sermon. And again, it goes down in history as the greatest sermon in the English language. But it was a sermon about judgment. It was a sermon about hell. It was a sermon about God's power. When people heard Edwards preach, they had to decide what they were going to do. This is that moment of decision for Felix. <laughs> he had an opportunity to respond to the gospel. He's heard the good news. He's heard what the consequences of the Christian faith are. He had an opportunity to respond to the gospel, but instead he silences Paul and sent him away. Their future interactions would be much more guarded and sadly would be colored by Felix's greed. You might even say that Felix had hardened his heart to the message of the gospel in that moment and was not able to hear Paul clearly speak about it again. Paul could have preached the gospel light message, could have made friends with Felix, could have possibly even gotten released, but he was not willing to compromise for the convenience of his situation. We must willing to do likewise. This morning, maybe you're stuck. Maybe you're in a rut. Maybe you're suffering today. But you need to understand that the, the witness of Scripture constantly reminds us that God isn't finished with us yet. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. I don't know what circumstances you find yourself in today. Some of them are hard. We know it's been a a difficult season in so many different ways. All indicators are that we're entering into a very difficult season. But God is not finished with you yet. 
And whether you're stuck, whether you're moving forward at light speed, be faithful to the call. Be faithful to serve Jesus. Be faithful to the truth of Scripture. Be faithful to the Word. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what circumstances we may find ourselves in. But we know, do know that him who is faithful loves us and wants to use us for his glory and for his kingdom. I hope we'll follow Paul's example and regardless of what circumstances we find ourselves in, to make the most of each. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the apostle Paul, for his courage, for his conviction, for his willingness to do, to do the hard thing, to, to preach a, a difficult message in a difficult situation. Lord, we may find ourselves today in painful struggles, maybe in our workplace, maybe in our health, maybe in our homes. But regardless of the pain in which we find ourselves, may we keep our eyes on you. At, at no point in the word do you tell us to keep our eyes on self. Instead, the command of scripture is clear, keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And so God, as we enter into this season of, of life that honestly, Lord, we understand it's filled with uncertainty. May we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. May we remain steadfast to the truth. May we remain confident in our profession. May we be faithful to you. And Lord, if there's any here today that perhaps like Felix, maybe they look at their life and they recognize that, that they are not in a right place with Jesus. And, and even as they hear of things like self-control and righteousness and the coming judgment, they might even find themselves today in a moment of decision. So God, I pray that in that moment of decision that they would choose to follow Jesus. God, we're grateful for your word. I'm grateful for the example we see in scripture. Help us to be faithful today. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.